Good morning, Indiana children of God. Great to be able to share with you God's word this morning. My name is Andrew. Carol and I are very pleased to be able to spend some time with you this morning. Yes, I do have an accent. I didn't used to have an accent. For many years, I spoke like everybody else. And then, when God called us to leave our homeland and fly 17 hours in an airplane all the way to New Jersey, something happened in the plane. I think the plane gave some changes to my throat and I had an accent as soon as I got here. Don't be surprised if it doesn't happen to you too. You go fly a long way around the world to China or somewhere and you'll have an accent too. I've been in New Jersey a few years when somebody asked me, when are you going to learn to speak English? <laughs> I thought I did. Truth of the matter is that when you change countries, you also need to change your idiomatic speech because there are things that you say in one country that are rather shocking in another. And that can certainly happen to you, so be very careful. Now, the reason why I grew up in Africa was that my grandfather and them left Scotland, our homeland, and um, went to seek work in Africa. And I grew up there, went to an English-speaking school, and then entered into the full-time ministry. Carol and I have been in the full-time ministry since 1975. Some of you weren't around yet by then. And of course, others of you must have been about 40 by then. So, <laughs> you haven't come here to hear about us. You've come here to hear the word of the Lord. I realize only too, too well that the most important question that anybody going to any church any Sunday morning can ask of the preacher is this question. Is there any word from the Lord? That matters more than anything else. God called me to preach his word, and I've been doing that ever since. And so this morning, we're going to turn to the first chapter of Peter's first letter and read some of the first words that he wrote. When we came to the end of 20 years of ministry in Clinton, New Jersey, which is in the northwest end of the state, God called us to spend two assignments for New Church Specialties. Now, some of you remember New Church Specialties. They came here under Pastor Dick Emery years ago. And so we went to Southern Illinois. And that was a cultural shock for Carol and I, coming from the, the northwest of New Jersey. And then, when that assignment came to an end, he called us to Massachusetts in Boston. That was another cultural shock. And, and Hearing the way people speak in the different places was very interesting. Now, we live in LaPorte, Indiana, because COVID has kind of shrunk that ministry down, and we were asking God, what's next? We weren't sure what was next. So, the reason why we purchased a home in LaPorte, Indiana, was because our grandchildren live there. I mean, if it's a choice between the beaches of California or the Virginia mountains, our the grandchildren, eh, no-brainer. So we're living there waiting for God to show us what's the next chapter in our ministry for them, for him. So let's turn in our hearts and in our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to read from verse 3 
to verse 9. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And he has given us an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. It's kept in heaven for you. Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These, the trials, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though it's refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible, glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter, why do you start off like this? It's your first letter, the first letter you're writing to the Christians of your day. Why start off like this? I'll tell you why. Because this morning, in this chapter, we're going to encounter again one of the most basic building blocks of the Christian faith. Without this thing that we're going to talk about this morning, I'm telling you now, there is no real Christianity. Without this thing we're going to talk about this morning, from the words of our Lord Jesus himself, Christianity is just another religion amongst all the other religions on earth. But this thing that Peter starts off with this morning, this thing changes everything. This thing, let's get right into it. Peter says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. He has given us new birth. Peter, where do you get this concept from? He gets it from the very foundation of what Jesus came to say and to teach. Let's go back there to the very beginning of the ministry of our Lord Jesus. 30 years of age, he comes on the scene in Galilee, and then his message begins to spread all the way across the country. Thousands come to hear him speak. They see his miracles. And the other rabbis take notice. Now, there's a thing about rabbis. Each rabbi tended to develop his own particular pet theme. This one was all about purity, and he could tell you about which foods to eat, which foods not to eat, where to go, where not to go. This rabbi over here was all about family life, and he would tell you all about how to conduct yourself at home and so on. This other rabbi here was an expert on all the commandments of Moses, and so each of the rabbis had his pet theme. 
Well, one night, one of the rabbis from the Jewish Sanhedrin came to see Jesus. And if you remember the book of John, you remember this famous story, how the rabbi Nicodemus came to see Jesus. He said, Jesus, we know you're a man who's come from God. We get it. We see all the miracles you're doing. We know all this. And he kind of implies, so Jesus, what's your theme? What's the inner heart, the kernel of your message? And Jesus says, Nicodemus, I'm telling you this. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Say what? Says Nicodemus, what? I, I don't think my mother would like it for me to be born a second time. I mean, when I was little, it was bad enough when I was small. But look at me now. Mom, I've got some bad news. <laughs> I want to see the kingdom of God. I'm going to have to be born of this. No, no, Nicodemus. You're missing it completely. So what Jesus does is he begins to unpack it and open it up for Nicodemus. He says, Nicodemus, flesh gives birth to flesh. You can be born of water, and of course, you know, most of our bodies are made up of water. It's quite normal for flesh to give birth to flesh. That's not unusual. In fact, if flesh doesn't get birth to, give birth to flesh, none of us would be here this morning. We, we get that side of it. Nicodemus, there has to be a first birth. But Nicodemus, I've come to tell you that there has to be a second birth. Flesh must give birth to flesh, but the Holy Spirit has to give birth to spirit. In other words, Jesus is saying to us, it is possible to be physically alive, but spiritually dead. It is possible to live to 95 years of age, be as healthy as you can, be as wealthy as you like, be as famous as you want, but still be spiritually dead inside. So he says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. There has to be something else that happens. Peter gets it, for he says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In God's great mercy, he has given to us, what? New birth. He's given to us a second birth. Can I see the hands of those of you who went to Sunday school when you were, when you were small? It's quite a lot of you. I didn't have that privilege. I grew up in a suburb where there were no churches. Let's see the hands of those of you who grew up poor when you were small. We didn't have a car in our family. We walked everywhere or caught the bus. In poor neighborhoods where there are no churches, life seems to take on a certain flavor. I'm not going to spend time telling you all about it. I think you can guess where I'm, where I'm going with this. When you're a poor kid in a poor neighborhood where there are no influences from the gospel, where the normal thing in the streets is for drunken parties and such like, eventually, as you grow up in that neighborhood, you take on the, the spirit and the, the atmosphere of that neighborhood. 
But thanks be to our Lord, the Salvation Army took pity on the people in that neighborhood. And they began to come into our neighborhood with their, their brass instruments and they would play and sing hymns and they'd preach the gospel and they would tell us on the street corners that God so loved the world, including people like us, that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. They began to say this stuff that was so strange to our ears. Cut a long story short, one Sunday morning, I found myself in one of their little chapels, and the preacher was preaching the gospel. It was one of those mornings when the Holy Spirit was there, and the anointing was upon the scriptures, and God began to move, and as I sat there in my seat, they gave an altar call. Remember altar calls? Remember those? Where they played about 10,000 verses of just as I am, and eventually they'd try to get everybody to the front. Well, I sat there weighing it up and weighing it up, but I left it too long. By the time I decided to respond, there was no place to kneel. The whole place was full. So they said, oh, just sit there on the front seat till we call you. It was like, take a ticket, you know. I had to go wait. I had to wait my turn. But eventually, there was a place at a table, and they said, all right, you can come forward and kneel now. That morning, as a young Christian showed me 1 John chapter 1, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That morning, I knew something happened. For that morning when I prayed that prayer, God lifted weights from my shoulders. I went back to my seat a different person. That's the born-again experience. Let's talk a little more about it in a moment. Nicodemus, unless you are born again. You cannot see the kingdom of God. See, what that means is, it doesn't matter how religious you are. It doesn't matter what kind of church you go to. It doesn't matter all the good deeds you do. It doesn't matter how you've influenced society. Something fundamental has to happen to you to see the kingdom of God. We're talking about that this morning. I was in a preacher's meeting in Massachusetts, and somebody was saying, the church is failing because it's not doing enough to uplift the poverty conditions in the world. And they were talking to us pastors about the need to do more social programs and to, do, to get involved in more of the upliftment of the poor. Somewhere in that question and answer time at the end, I said, I hear what you're saying, but the Salvation Army had a concept, soup Soap and salvation. It's not enough just to do great social programs and uplift the community. And then I kept put the cat among the pigeons, or I really stirred the thing. I said, it is possible for the church to go into a poor, broken, miserable, poverty-stricken area and lift them into good, quality, middle-class people going to the same hell they were going to before. Something has to happen in the salvation area. If it doesn't, we as a church have missed the main message of Jesus. So Peter looks at this and he says, God has given us a new birth into a living hope. How does this happen? You see, I said to you, you can't like 
go to the right church and, and somehow get the right points to get into the kingdom of God. I said to you, you can't do enough good deeds to get in. Something miraculous has to happen. Some sort of internal heart change has got to take place. If it doesn't, you've just become religious. That's all. So, I talk about something miraculous. Christianity is a miracle religion. And it started with the very first miracle. Peter says, God has given us the living hope through the resurrection from the dead of our Lord Jesus. You don't get a greater miracle than that one. A lot of good people died on crosses. A lot of the Romans crucified a lot of people who had a, what they thought was a better idea for their country. Crucifixion for treason. But there was a sort of bad people died on crosses. Dying on crosses is not the miracle. The death of Jesus on the cross is not the miracle. I'll tell you where the miracle was. That he predicted that after three days the sign of Jonah would come true. And in that cold dark tomb, sealed with the seal of Rome, that you break it on the pain of death. Guarded outside by centuries. Centuries. Into that darkness there came the light of life and Jesus conquered the grave. Ours is a miracle message. Our Lord is alive, risen, and coming again too, which Peter speaks about a little later on. Here's the deal, children of God. Our message to our world is, you can be born again with the miracle of new birth because it started with the miracle of the resurrection. Peter says, this brings you into an inheritance. Inheritance. Let's talk about that concept for a moment. Folks, do you know that saying, where there's a will, there's a way? You know that saying? <laughs> Sometimes they say in Africa, where there's a will, the relatives will be gathered. Because <laughs> there's something about the reading of a will that makes people perk up. Ooh, ooh maybe I'm mentioned in the will. I have news for you. If you're born again, you're mentioned in the will. The will is you have a part in the inheritance of the saints. God has prepared for you a dwelling place that is eternal. See, Jesus knew that, that he was leaving. He says to his disciples, I'm going away. But I'm going to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you can be too. And if I go away, I'm going to come and get you. I'm going to come and fetch you. The new, the new birth in the Spirit brings you into the inheritance where your name is mentioned in the will of the Father. For the will of the Father is that you may have eternal life. Whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is the joy of the inheritance. Jesus said, I will come again and I will call you and bring you to myself. There was a sound man in our church in Clinton, not a very well-educated man, certainly not a wealthy man, a very simple man, but Ron had a firm faith in Jesus. Ron was the janitor at the library. Ron lived a very simple life and had, to some extent, a little bit of inferiority feelings about himself. Into the library came all the educated people, all the wealthy people. The area of Clinton is, in fact, a very wealthy area of our country. There he was, cleaning the trash cans. But Ron got sick and was dying in hospital. I want to tell you the final words that Ron spoke. 
with all his inferiority, with all his feelings about himself, he looked up and he said these words, Jesus, I didn't think you'd come for me yourself. I thought you'd send somebody for me. With that, he passed away. Jesus has promised that we have an inheritance, a living hope that is given to us among the saints. I will prepare a place for you, and if I prepare a place for you, I will come and get you that where I am, you may be also. This is our living hope, friends. This is the joy that makes life different, and it begins with that new birth experience. He says this, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you don't see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible joy. Show me somebody who has had a new birth experience, I'll show you somebody who's in love with Jesus. It makes all the difference. Now, he says this to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is a little rocked by it. Then Jesus on the back end, later in his teachings, has this concept. It starts with, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom. Then Jesus, the other end, says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and the other things will be added to you. How do you know you've been born again? Because your life focus has narrowed. Your life focus has changed. Christianity and church isn't one of the good things you do in your life. Christianity becomes a relationship with God. Christianity becomes a life focus. I've known people over the years of my ministry who've had many different kinds of focus. I've met those who want to be millionaires. I've met those who want to be famous. I've met those who want to use their skills to become very healthy, etc., etc. great sportsmen. There is no greater focus for this life than to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. To know him and to know that you know him and to know that you love him, that you are seeking first above all other life priorities, you are seeking the kingdom of God. It makes a huge difference to life. One night, my first encounter with kidney stones happened. Oh, some of you have had that joy in your life. There was blood everywhere. I went to the hospital, and they were taking tests, and they were running around and jabbing me and all kinds of stuff. And the nurse said, why are you so calm? Now, I'm not a particularly brave person guarantee you that. I said to her, how bad can it be? Either you're going to find out what's wrong with me or I'm going to go to heaven from this hospital tonight. That wasn't an act. It was almost surprising to me. You see, that's the difference that it makes. You begin to recognize that this life isn't about getting wealthy or famous or healthy or any of those less, lesser goals. Not that there's anything wrong with those lesser goals when they are in under the main goal. Somebody wisely said, it may have been Alistair Begg, said, the main thing in this life is to keep the main thing the main thing. There is no more main thing than how this passage ends. He says... Though you've not seen him, you love him. Even though you don't see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. For 
you are receiving, that's a present continuous tense, receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Don't settle for lesser goals. Don't waste your life on becoming exceedingly famous or wealthy or healthy. Those are good things, but they're lesser goals. The greatest goal of this life is to know your Creator. It is not surprising that the wisest man there ever was, when he comes to the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, which is a rather depressing sometimes study in the worthless things people give their lives to, he says, I will tell you now the main thing. The main thing is to remember your Creator even in the days of your youth. Start there. Start by the born-again experience, seeking first the kingdom of God. Everything else gets added. You are then receiving, receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You say, Pastor, you haven't given us proofs here this morning. Faith doesn't require proof. Faith requires experience. Experience eventually becomes its own proof. It's a bit like trying to persuade somebody of the joy of going swimming on a very hot Indiana day. I haven't ever swum before, and I see you there in the pool, and you're splashing around, and you've got a big smile on your face. And I say, could, could, could you prove to me that that's a good experience? Can you give me a couple of mathematical theorems that, that will satisfy me that what, what's happening to you there in that water, in the cool pool, is, is really a, a worthwhile thing that, that maybe I should get involved in? There's only one way you can really prove how enjoyable it is to be in a cool swimming pool on a hot day, and that way is what? Jump in. Come get in. I'm telling you that's about the born-again experience. You can listen to a hundred of these sermons and it'll make no difference to you until it happens to you. Seek that experience if you haven't yet had it. If you have had it, seek to share it. Why on earth would you keep it to yourself? Really? What's the point of keeping the most important thing that's ever happened to you to yourself? Oh, they may think I'm a little strange if I talk about being born twice. This actually happened to a disciple of mine. So I was in the Rotary Club in Clinton for a while, and I met a young businessman. He was a finance advisor. And we got to talking. We got to talking about the kingdom of God, and he, he got it. Then he transferred to the Carolinas, and he went to a rather large church where his wife was of that denomination. They heard he, was, he had financial expertise. They invited him to serve on the Property and Finance Council. The church was struggling a little financially, and they were having a meeting to discuss what ideas could we possibly have in order to meet the need of the church. <laughs> My friend Doug said, we should all tithe. There was a silence. They kind of looked at him, and he looked at them. They were appalled at what he said. And they began to argue with him and said, no, 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 we talk about raffles here and we talk about, um, you know, having a sale of work. And we... So Doug wrote me a letter. He was rather worried. In his letter, i never forget he wrote, 
um, they didn't understand what I was talking about. We're not one of those born-againers, are we? I said, yes, Doug. We are one of those born-againers. We take this word of our God seriously. We take this word and live it. Because he is faithful. And he is able to meet every need you have. He can even meet the need of a church that's battling financially. Could you believe that? <laughs> We're not one of those born-againers, are we? Oh, we absolutely are. We are the family of the born-again. That's who we really are. Jesus, when he came, was preceded by John the Baptist. Remember the story? And John the Baptist came using a very unpopular word. He came speaking the R word. Do you ever hear the R word spoken these days in society? It's a very unpopular word. It's the word repent. John the Baptist was saying to his society, repent because the kingdom of God is right at hand. Repent means to stop going one way, turn around and go the other way. Repent means to be sorry about being a sinner. Be sorry about having broken God's laws. To change and to turn around and to give yourself to the Lordship of Christ. That day at that table, when that Christian prayed with me, he told me a few things. He said, you are a sinner. You have broken God's laws. He told me, Jesus has paid the price for the sins you've committed. You can't save yourself. You can't undo the things you have done. He told me that faith in the death of Christ can make a difference. And then he led me to a prayer asking me, would I make Jesus Lord of my life? That's when the thing happened. When you stop running your life and you let him run it. When you stop taking the decisions as to what seems good to you. After all, the Bible says there is a way that seems right to a person, but the end of it is destruction. There comes a moment when you stop trying to make your own way in life. You stop trying to think, I wonder what's best for me in life. You say, Jesus, I'm making you Lord of my life. That's where the repentance thing leads to. Because when John the Baptist had finished preaching, Jesus took over and he rode on that same message to his society. You say, Pastor, people don't like to be told to repent. I know. I know that. People don't like to be told they're sinners. I know that. But I have to tell you, that's nothing new. People have never liked being told they're sinners. People have never liked being told to repent. But that's the message John and Jesus brought to their society and has been brought by the faithful preachers of the word ever since. That's the life-changing message. Because repentance opens up the door to saying, Jesus, I really need you as Lord of my life. I've made enough decisions of my own right now. How about you take control? How about you start running my life? I want to seek, first of all, as my highest goal, your kingdom and your righteousness. And I believe the other things will be added. Well, thank you for listening. I want to offer some prayer for each of us. If you have not yet had the born-again experience,
this is the time to seek it. For this has been the word of the Lord through the scripture from Peter to your heart this morning. If you've had the experience and are living in it, I want to pray for you too. For you have an obligation to share the good things that you've had. Would you stand for prayer as we close the service? For anyone here this morning who has not yet received the miracle of new birth, I'm going to offer a prayer, and I want you to go into this week in the spirit of that prayer, because God wants to give you new birth. It's not something he's stingy about. He wants to give it to you. Heavenly Father, this morning, if there's somebody here, though they've been religious, though they've tried to live a good life, Though they've made the best possible decisions they can make for themselves, they honestly have to say that they are in charge of their lives, not you. That really when it comes down to it, they're asking themselves what's good for them rather than what's good for your kingdom. Really when it comes down to it, their hearts are filled with themselves and not you. Thank you for bringing them here among us this morning, Lord. Thank you for all the love you have for them. The love that wants to come and take over at last. To come and forgive the sins of selfishness and self-will. The sins of both commission and omission. You want to wash that away in the precious blood of your son shed for them on the cross. Lord, I'm praying that this week, this message, May so linger by your Holy Spirit the best after preacher they could ever be to bring them to the place of earnestly seeking new birth. Bring some Christian across their path who has the experience and knows how to share it. Oh, that they may be born again before this week is over. Father, we pray for those of us who know you and love you. Your son has asked us, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the uttermost parts of the earth. And it doesn't get further away from Jerusalem than northwest Indiana. Father, make us the kind of witnesses you expect us to be. Help us to share the good news of what you've done in our life. For Lord, we would be your faithful witnesses in these days until you come again for us, whether it be by death or by the second coming, that when you come, we may be found doing what you expect of us, gently, warmly, tactfully, lovingly, sharing the news that second birth creates spiritual life in dead hearts. Now, Lord, may your grace, mercy, and peace be upon every one of us as we walk with you into this week. We pray this in your name. Amen. Go in peace. God bless you all.